What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Mission Suite podcast. I'm Ian Campbell. I'm CEO of Mission Suite. Here's the audio from our latest community table session. Dean and I had a great conversation, and I'm really excited to share this with you. If you want to see the video, you can head on over to youtube.com slash mission suite and check out our community table playlist. If you'd like to join our next community table session, head on over to the mission suite.com slash community table and fill out the form to be notified before our next session. I should hit that start <laughs> recording button. Man, I'm on That's top key. of things today. That's key, man. That's you know, good. don't let anybody say that January is a crazy month because, <laughs> you know, random things happen. You know, <laughs> it's better that you remember. Yeah, so we are recording this. Yep. No, yeah, no, right. right. Exactly. Exactly. So we are recording this as of now. So if you have, uh, if, if anybody is, uh, if, if anybody's asking you, hey, how can I see this thing? You can always direct them to Mission Suite's YouTube page, Mission Suite's Facebook page. Uh, Dean will have this. And, uh, and I know that, you know, he makes it public as well on, on the Vantage Group and his own personal stuff. So definitely uh, uh, keep an eye out for that, uh, especially now that the recording is live. So um, Dean, I got to tell you, uh, you know, you'd think with the number of these things that we've done that I would have memorized our intro by now, but <laughs> it's all good. It's, it's the change of location. That's what did it to you, man. You weren't, you weren't in your office, you know, prepped and ready to go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It threw me off. And, you know, I got here early just to make sure that I was prepared, that I was at least ready to roll and prepared. It's right. just, you know, like, uh, apparently I forgot that it doesn't auto record when you're on your phone. So <laughs> we are good. Oh, man. Yeah. But uh, but I think that today is going to be going to be a cool conversation. Uh, you know, we're talking a little bit about uh, about the power of a niche, and uh, you know, we've all heard that concept and that that conversation or talking point of you know niches make riches, and uh, if if you want to be, um, you know, if you want to be if you want to be terrific, be specific, and uh, you know all the I mean I can't count the number of bad cliches right. that I've heard uh, that surround this idea of uh, of really diving into a niche. But uh, but what was it for you specifically? I'm curious. What was it that that kind of made you think, hey, this is something that we should really be be talking a little bit about today? Yeah, I think there's two or three things. One is I think people just generally have heard you got to have a niche, you got to focus, you got to focus, but they don't always fully understand why, right? And so what the power of um, narrowing down your focus is, and there's so much benefit in doing so. Um, so that's one piece. The other is this this general fear for business owners of if I narrow my focus, I narrow my market opportunity, right? So it's like right. it's fear of missing out. And the reality is it's quite the opposite. And if you kind of stay broad, you actually narrow your effectiveness in your marketing and sales and also your, your um, product sort of development and how you price and how you position. It makes it all more difficult. So those are the two things that kind of came to mind when we started kicking uh, around this concept. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I think those are, those are great points. And, you know, I mean, very specifically I heard, and I remember hearing for years that, uh, well, I can sell to anybody. Why would I want to, why would I want to limit who I'm selling to? Right. <laughs> and 
I remember feeling like I was banging my head up against a wall, <clears throat> excuse me, over and over and over again when talking about those things. And, uh, and at the end of the day, it really can just be really, really powerful to, uh, to, to really focus in and dial in on a niche. And, uh, and so I think it's going to be cool to, uh, to have this conversation. Yeah. So first things first, let's talk a little bit about uh, what we mean when we, well, I guess two things. What do we mean when we talk about a niche? And then also, what are we not talking about when we're talking about a niche? Yeah. Because those are two very important things to, to, to distinguish. They are. And I think that's where the confusion begins. Like, what is this thing? Plus, how do you even pronounce the word correctly, right? Right. <laughs> there is that, right? I say niche, whatever, right? Anyway, right. so I think let's let's talk about what it isn't to start with. Maybe that's a good place to start. So when I talk to clients and business owners and entrepreneurs, and I ask them about their niche. They they're either focusing on just like an industry. My niche is manufacturers. I sell to manufacturers. Not a niche. That's a segment or a vertical, right? Or they'll say, um, uh, I sell to my primary buyer are females with this age range, with this degree that live in this part of the country. And I know that's not a niche either. That's a persona, Right. So while the, both of those may be a component of an edge, that's not really what we're talking about. So there's some confusion around that. So what, what is a niche? Well, you can Google it, right? You'll get a bazillion different responses. But an easy way, I think, to sort of wrap your head around this concept of a niche is think of it as your sweet spot. Mm -hmm. right? And, and I, I often have this sort of like Venn diagram in my head. Imagine three circles. The first circle is your expertise, the things that you love to do and you do really well, right? That's the first circle. The second is um, what is the problem that you solve, right? What is the result of that thing that you do, the problem you solve? And then the third circle is um, opportunity. Who are the people because people buy stuff businesses don't, right? Who are the people that have that problem and, and want to spend the time and money to solve it? So where those three things intersect, the middle of that Venn diagram, that's your proverbial sweet spot. So if you go through this niching process and you can articulate those three things really well, you've started to get a really clear sense of your niche. Mm -hmm. That's sort of how I start the process of thinking about this. There's more to it, obviously, but... Sure. So, you know, what I find interesting about that is that, you know, we talk like the, the persona definitely plays into the development of a niche, as does the segment, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And so, right, exactly. And so the persona is just, if we're, if we're looking at that Venn diagram of three, three circles, then the persona is just one part out of three that we're talking about. But oftentimes it's the only one that people talk about. Yeah, it is. So I'll give you a real tangible example. Um, on the growth collaborative side of my business, that's the group consulting model. Um, I, I'm, I'm working on the next iteration of that part of my business, which is more of a mastermind model, right? And, you know, I could say any small business owner that provides professional service, B2B professional services. But that sounds mm -hmm. pretty niche. Sounds pretty niche, but it's still freaking broad, right? That, right. That's broad. So are they technologists? Are they consultants? Are they accountants? Are they, what are they, right? And are they providing the services? Are they reselling services? Are they selling into the channel direct? 
all of this stuff. And so um, I've developed a, a, a more niche around this next iteration of the Growth Collaborative. And what it is, it's, it's specifically for B2B consultants that want to add fractional services to their business. They want to be a fractional CFO, CEO, COO, C whatever, right? CXO. Mm -hmm. So now that's that's my niche is people that want to expand their fractional services or want to add fractional services to their consultant, B2B consulting. So I went from all, all types of consultants and professional services down to that niche because that's what I'm focusing the content on. We've done it in right. our business. We've expanded our business and revenue because of that. And I kind of figured it out. So that's the difference between a general market B2B consultants and a niche, which is people that want to add fractional services. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So really, <clears throat> we're, it sounds like we're starting with a segment and then, you know, kind of narrowing it down to a persona inside of that segment. And then more importantly, you know, and of course, the last question is who's willing, who's actually willing to buy? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let me real quick. I see Julie dropped a question in the Q and A. What yeah. is a fractional service? A fractional service is um, a, a company that wants that needs um, high level executive team members, right? VPs or or C levels, but they're not ready to or don't have the money to pay for a full timer. They're not ready to spend two hundred and fifty grand on a full time CMO, Chief Marketing Officer but they're willing to spend maybe a third of that for a part-time dedicated person that can still bring all that value and experience to the team. So that's what a fraction is. Um, so, yeah, so part of, I think, the, the persona piece is um, I tend to focus less on the demographics around a persona because in some ways it doesn't matter. Now, if you're providing services specifically to a particular gender or person with a health condition or yeah, you've got to, you've got to do that. But generally in B2B, do you care if your buyer is a male or a female? Do you care if your buyer is of a particular age? Maybe in your messaging, if it's really niche, if it's really specific, if you're only going after female business owners. So there are a lot of business coaches that want to focus just on female business owners. Then yes, you do right. care about gender. But in my world, I don't, and most of my clients don't care about the gender of the person they're working with. They really want to more focus on the problem that they're solving. Or if let's flip it around, right? We've got to be empathetic here. From the buyer's perspective, what is the problem they want to solve or the challenge they want to overcome, right? Using their right. words and their language is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And dialing in on that, you know, we've talked about the future state and really kind of yeah. dialing in on that too, right? Yeah, exactly. Be aspirational, yeah. right? You right. current state, the problem, the mm -hmm. future state is where they want to be. And you right. right into that gap, you get them from point A to point B. And that's really important with niching, because then you can use their language. If mm -hmm. I'm selling to all business owners that sell B2B services, I could use really general language, but if I'm selling right. to the fractionals, right, I'm going to talk, I'm going to use their language. They want high ticket, right. Executive level yeah. engagements. So that's the language I use because I could be in B2B selling bookkeeping services at $300 a pop, very different market, very different, you know, uh, um, price point. So right. again, part of the benefit of niching is to align your messaging. 
Absolutely. So let's talk, uh, uh, kind of going back to that Venn diagram, talking a little bit about the offer that you're making to these people too, because that is a big part of that whole that whole niche, right? Because I mean, we all have a lot of different services that we're offering. And more than likely, ideally want to offer multitude of services to the same client, because it's easier to do that than try to yep. find a bunch of different people to do it otherwise, yep. right? So when we're thinking about that, again, I imagine, and I've talked to, I've talked to people about this a lot, and I know that niching has become more popular over the course of the past 20 years than it was when I was, you know, when I was, you know, doing this, uh, well, a long time ago anyway, but uh, at least 10 years ago when I was talking, talking about this stuff, but, uh, but, you know, the offer is a big deal. And I, I used to hear a lot, you know, why would I, why would I only want to talk about one thing? to this prospective client? Why don't I want to talk about everything? Because I do a lot more than just this. So again, kind of targeting in on that niche, why do we want to make sure that we're focusing in on, on just the one service that we want to be offering to this one person? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the why is, is, is simple, right? It aligns your service with their need. Mm -hmm. Easy. Right at the base level, but here's the thing: there's there are a lot of um, professional services firms that have this sort of concept of a value ladder. Right, they want to offer the cheapest thing first, and then try and upsell the client into this next thing and this next thing. The problem with this that whole sort of ascension model is that if you're selling a low priced offer at the beginning, what kind of clients are you attracting? typically people that want to pay less, mm -hmm. right? So if you have this whole suite of things and you can offer this, you can offer that, you don't, you're not attracting a consistent, um, a consistent prospect. You don't know if this, if, if you're putting out there, you've got the $199 thing and you've got the $10,000 thing and you're marketing all of this stuff, you never know who's coming through the funnel and you're not attracting anybody consistently. And if you're really leaning into the Ascension model where you can offer the $199 thing, the reality is a lost leader usually is a lost loser. Most people don't right. have the mechanisms to upsell or they've just attracted a low price prospect. So long answer to your question, the really the goal is to align your offer with the, the problem that you're solving that you know your prospects will spend money on. And keep in mind, the bigger the problem you solve, the more you can charge. Right. Right. So if you right. just want to go in and pick up the low hanging fruit, that's great. You're just going to have to build a lot of volume through your business. But if you've got the expertise to solve bigger problems, you speak to bigger problems and you attract those bigger opportunities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And realistically, I guess my question would be, are the people that are going to buy the $10,000 thing really going to pay, really going to end up buying the $199 thing in the first place? Or are you just trying to, are you just spending a lot of time and money focusing on trying to build one person out of a hundred into that $10,000 client? Whereas realistically, you probably just could have gone out and found the one person for $10,000, right? A hundred, hundred percent. That's the whole alignment benefit of understanding your niche, right? You, right? you start to formulate and then reformulate over time your offer, mm -hmm. right? And really, I'm a big believer in having, you know, one key offer. Now, that offer may be made up of multiple components that be maybe customized for a lead for a particular prospect, but it's a core offer. What is your offer? We do this thing. We solve this big problem. 
and you want your prospect to say, well, how do you do that? Then you know you've got a conversation going. But when you focus just on a, a more commoditized offer, even if you're in a commoditized market, you're always going to lose on price. It's a race to the mm-hmm. so Yeah. It's so it's so important that you go when you go through this exercise, you frame them, you frame the offer, right? Your solution in the language of your buyer as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes we get caught up in our technical jargon and all the stuff that we do. They don't care. They don't care. Yeah. Right? They think right. from their perspective. So empathy as you go through your messaging is really important too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit uh, when we were talking about this before, we talked a little bit about building up the echo chamber, Um, you know, and one of the and, uh, you know, obviously, we're really diving in on the benefits of defining a niche. And we'll talk more about how to how to do how to kind of build it out, you know, as we uh, uh, in a little bit here, but, you know, talking about that building that echo chamber and uh, the some of the benefits of that you know because we've most of us have only heard the, the term echo chamber is a very negative thing yeah, right, right? Uh, yeah. but mostly pertaining to social media so uh so but we can we can kind of spin that and in the in this particular case if we do it right we can use that echo chamber as a very positive thing if as long as we are really really specific in a niche how like what how, how does that work yeah. Um, another way to think about echo chamber, echo chamber is maybe a more positive way to say it, is ecosystem, right? Your right. messaging ecosystem, all the places you put your stuff out in the world, social, mm-hmm. digital, podcast, print, I don't care. That's your echo. That's your world, your bubble. And your job is to bring people into your messaging ecosystem, your echo chamber, right? Right. And the people that you will attract to come in, that they opt into your email, they sign up and they connect with you on LinkedIn. They're the people that they resonate with what you've got to say. So mm-hmm. that's the, the positive spin on the echo chamber is bringing those people in. So from a messaging sort of stack perspective, if you're knit, if you're clear on your knit, you know that big problem that you help solve, that's where you speak. You speak to that first in your messaging. That's going to cast the widest audience of people that care about that problem. Then when you get them into your echo chamber, your ecosystem, then you can provide messaging sort of down the stack. And, and we can talk about kind of what that looks like here in a minute. But you want to cast a wide net in a narrow pond, if right. you will. Right. So that's right. why really understanding the problem. So I'll use, I'll use a client of mine as an example. Um, they work with... Um, well, before we started working with them, they worked with a lot of B2B businesses doing management consulting, sort of strategic planning, strategy work, growth work, doing some great work, but was having a really hard time finding the right fit client, the ideal client, and converting those into higher ticket engagements. And so with, with a lot of conversation and work, we narrowed it down. And really, it wasn't B2B businesses. It was really more technical manufacturing, engineering-focused persona, if you will. So that became part Mm -hmm. of the niche. That became part of the niche. And so understanding that allowed us to sort of shed a lot of the lower-ticket offers they were offering. One day this and little workshops there. We're going to solve the big problem. The big problem for them was having a clear roadmap to scale. That was the problem they were trying to solve. The business owners are trying to solve and my client was trying to solve. And once we got that alignment figured out, 
it was, a, it was a case of we know where to go to find our right client. We know the things to say to stimulate conversation. And then those leads flowed so much more quickly and higher ticket clients came out as a result. So a little nuance there, right? B2B businesses versus or engineering, manufacturing focused businesses. But the messaging changed. So that's really right. made a big difference, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Because, I mean, just a general B2B company is going to have a much different need than an engineering manufacturing company, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, being able to identify that is, can be really helpful. Um, we also talked about the fact that, you know, one of the big benefits of being, the, being like work, really working a niche is that you get to be the guy right you get to be the one guy that everybody talks oh yeah no ian or dean he's he does this is that if you or if you want to talk to talk to my guy it's uh you know that kind Absolutely. of a thing and that's that's a huge benefit to that right it, it is i think that really helps in a lot of areas helps for you for you and your messaging and all the things we've already talked about but as i look through the people that are on on our call today many of them rely on referrals as a big part of the lead gen. And so many people we talk to struggle with getting consistent referrals, right? They're out there coughing it up and zooming it up and all of this stuff. And they're meeting lots of people and it's not resulting in referrals. It's not resulting in revenue. And, and a lot of the times that's because you're not easily referable because you're not easily memorable because you're not the guy in the niche. Right. And so if I'm out there and I know 10 digital marketing agencies and they all do SEO, they all do websites, blah, blah, blah. That's great. They're all good. But how do mm -hmm. I differentiate and find the right opportunity for that particular agency? It's tough. I spend a lot of time talking to these kinds of folks because I do refer them, but because it benefits my clients. So I spend the sure. time. But if I was like, all right, ABC agency specializes in, I don't know, e-com, and, you know, consumer product, I know exactly how to and when to refer them because they're my guy for that niche. Right. So that's another huge benefit is it makes you more easily referable and easily and more memorable too. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when that referral comes in and that business owner does a quick Google search of you, they see, yeah, this is the guy or the gal, right? This is the person. Right for this need. So every, that sort of um, trust transfers so much more quickly than a generalist would. Right. Which, and you know, that also brings up another strong benefit of being the person in a niche is that there are those digital marketing uh, capabilities, the SEO value of it, the, mm -hmm. uh, the, the video value of it, the, you, you know, whether it's on YouTube or whatever, right. I mean, if you can be the guy that does this thing, then every time that somebody searches for this thing in your area, that kind of a deal, right? I mean, there's there's oh, a yeah. lot of it. There, there could be a lot of value to that. There's a huge amount. I mean, most, many of the Google searches are the, the how-to type searches, right? right? How can I solve this problem? What should I do in this situation? And if, and if, and usually that's pretty narrow, right? How do I solve mm -hmm. my inventory management challenges in me and my manufacturing firm? Pretty specific, right? Um, if it said software, then those software products would come up. If it's a more general search, maybe consultants will show up. And if that's what you do, you're going to be found if you're messaging to that versus just this general um, I don't know, process improvement, right? It's a very general topic, but 
improve my process in my manufacturing processes is a more specific topic. So it would mm-hmm. absolutely help the old Google juice for being findable. Yeah. Very cool. So before we move on uh, to kind of the how-to stuff on this particular t- subject, is there anything else that we should know about the benefits of, <clears throat> excuse me, of, of niching down, of, of really dialing in on the niche? Yeah, I think there's something that's often overlooked, especially for all our small business owners, our own operators, we're doing the work and working with clients right. as well. Even if you have a team, you're still in the weeds. You get to choose what you do and who you do it with. How cool is that, right? You don't have to work with people you don't want to. You don't have to attract clients that aren't a good fit, people that aren't a good fit, projects that aren't a good fit. Work with the ones that you where you can have the most value, make the most money if that's important to you, have the most impact. How cool is that, right? Yeah. We've all had clients that we just like, all right, we won't do that again kind of thing. (laughs) So, So remember, it's not just about them. It's more about you and your business. Right, right. That's a huge point, too, because, I mean, it's something that this should not like our work. Yes, there's always going to be things that we don't like doing. You know, I mean, like I, 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 I hate coding accounting stuff in QuickBooks. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. but, you know, it's a part of what I got to do so that my accounting team can figure things out. Right. I mean, it's just it's just part of the nature of the beast. And that's fine. Whatever. I'll, I'll get it done. But I mean, at the end of the day, this should be fun. Right. I mean, this should not be a, I mean, this should not be a hassle if nothing else. It shouldn't be something that you dread waking up to do because it's your business. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's always easy, right? Doesn't always mean it's easy, but if you're doing the work you love, you're doing the work you love and you're doing it with people that you get along with, you like, in some cases you really like, right? Mm -hmm. It, 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 then the hard work becomes so much more manageable. So I, I yeah. think we, we often, you know, we go chase the money, right? We go chase the money. Well, these people yep. will buy my stuff. Yeah, but you always hate working with them. You end up not being as profitable as you thought and all the other things that go along with it. So take control back in your business, maybe. That's another way to think about it. If you yeah. want to spend time doing, so we're going to touch on the how here in a minute, but go through this process of building your sweet spot, your niche, and then just like live with it for a while, right? If that makes you feel good, that's probably the right direction. And it will evolve over time. It always does. But um, right. I, 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 I got a firsthand experience, right? We've all been through it. You know, take, take, uh, take that, take, grab the driver's drive the wheel again, right? <laughs> In the business. Exactly. Right. And I think, and it's important to, to keep that in mind too, is that it does take time. This is not something that, that, you know, you don't go into like, there's some testing and refining and whatnot that has to be done to figure out actually what you want to be doing. So, you know, if you jump into this, you know, like, oh, this is horrible. And, you know, you jump back out, you're probably selling yourself short on something like this, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, this is a an iterative, always sort of always reevaluate process. And I will say something that maybe in the marketing world, it might be considered controversial, but I don't, I don't know if it is, is you can have more than one niche, right? Right. You can, yeah. you just can, right? It, and again, in my business, my consulting work, I'm usually working with slightly bigger businesses, professional services, they, the tech and the consulting and all of that stuff, right? It's a, it's a, um, a different niche to my growth collaborative niche, which is now really focused down to these folks that want to mm. 
do the whole fractional thing. Certainly similarities, right? But sure. if I'm so, a, 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 a twenty a ten million dollar business isn't going to buy masterminds, my mastermind service because it doesn't fit. It doesn't right. fit. So uh, and and the smaller the smaller companies can buy my consulting services if they have the need and resources. That's fine too. But they are different niches, and I've got different offers for those two niches. But if you stand back and people look at my business, hopefully they think, well, that still makes sense, right? It's not like I'm selling to farmers and, you know, coders, right? uh, software developers. Right. Like, that makes no sense. There's some alignment right. there. So, but, so don't, don't, don't limit yourself, but yet limit yourself. Right. <laughs> that right. makes sense. Figure um, out where the fence is and then play inside that fence, right? Yeah. Figure out exactly. where, where you want the fence yeah. to be, I suppose. Yeah, and start with the one. Start with the main niche, right? Get that dialed in first before you say, oh, Dean said I can have more than one. Get get one dialed in. Get it figured out. Prove that you can generate leads and business for that first niche. And once you've got that piece of the business moving forward, then you can think about a second niche. But until then, just start with one. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about that. How do you select that first niche? Like how do you go about choosing what that first niche that you really want to start to develop and define? How do you, how do you, how do you pick? Yeah. It's not easy, right? Because we want to do all these things with all these people. Know that it's going to be a process of elimination, if nothing else. So I would start, if you think about again, the, the, the Venn diagram, um, start with you. What is the kind of work that you want to do, that you like to do, that you have an expertise in? Write it down. Start with that and be as specific as possible. Okay. So start there. I think that's often we tend to look outside first, you know, um, find a problem, solve a problem kind of thing. You can do that. But I think early on for small businesses, it's more about us. People are ultimately buying us as we scale right. our business and they're buying our brand and our service. But if you're a solopreneur or a small business owner, focus on you first because ultimately you're the one putting in the work, putting all the risk in and all the time in. So start there. Really get into let me, those things. Yeah. So I was just going to say, let me ask you, So because you mentioned being specific, right? Be, and, and when you write down the list of things that you want to do, like how specific are we talking here? Are we talking like, oh, I want to, I don't know, I, I want to draw, uh, a friend of mine is a, is a des- graphic designer that, that does, uh, that draws custom fonts for businesses, are we talking that specific? Are we talking, I just want to do graphic design for people and see where that goes? Kind of uh, like yeah. how specific are we talking? Yeah. I, I think those are drawing be, letters is a very specific it's, thing. It's right? pretty <laughs> narrow, right? Those are like either end of that continuum, right? Graphic design, right? Pretty generic, pretty broad. I create fonts, custom fonts, pretty narrow. I say closer to the font conversation, right? Because I know graphic okay. designers that will design websites but not build websites i know agencies that will do everything right we know agencies that will do logo design but they never do packaging design Mm -hmm. they will do a swag they call themselves graphic designers but they really just design custom swag like Mm -hmm. water bottles and all that stuff and they don't do 
collateral logo, uh, um, like um, uh, brochures and that kind of stuff. So right. if you want to be a graphic designer, that's fine. What are the kinds of things you love and are great at designing? Right. My, my wife's an interior designer. There are millions of them. And so she niches down by the styles that she likes to design, mid-century modern, sort of Scandinavian, minimalist thing. That's her niche. She's narrowed that way. And old Joanna Gaines, right? If everybody's heard of Joanna Gaines, she does farmhouse. That's, well, if you don't know into DIY, you may not have heard of her. Um, fix her up. <laughs> anyway. Okay. I was going to say, I haven't she, heard of her. but <laughs> Okay. That's cool. I'm sure some of the other folks on the call have. But so she <laughs> niches around like her design style, which is farmhouse. My wife does niches around like mid-century modern and more Scandinavian style. So they're all um, interior designers, but they've niched by the style. So as a graphic designer, in your example, what do you like to do? Yeah. There are some people that just do product design, packaging design. That's all they do. So mm -hmm. I would always push back on describing yourself by a category. Yeah. That's not, yeah. That's not a niche. So Right. Okay. So more specific as more specific as possible. Didn't mean to interrupt to interrupt the floor, but I wanted I wanted to dive in on that. No, no, that's perfect. No, because I think it's it's good to define that. So start by looking inwardly, and if you're not sure, and you've been in business for any length of time and had any number of clients, um, think about the projects you've done. Go back and think about the projects you've completed, right. What are those projects did you really enjoy? Were you really successful at? Did you deliver tons of value? That's another place to define that. Sometimes just sitting there staring at a blank sheet of paper can be hard. So go back through your client list, your projects. Even if you're transitioning from a job into your first entrepreneurial thing, what did you do on the job that you love to do you were really, really good at? Mm -hmm. So that's, that, that's how I kind of think about the expertise, the service, the, the, the offer. Looks like Julia asked another question. I don't know if you see that, Ian. Um, yeah, uh, uh, oop, uh, looks like it was uh, there was a comment here. Uh, Julie just recently found a niche or a niche I wasn't expecting. I'm a crisis communication PR rep, but lately been hired to handle clients' online reputation management, which is writing responses to prevent bigger issues, which is obviously the foundation of crisis communications. And you know that's definitely uh, uh, it's. It's interesting because some of those niches can present themselves to us too, right? So yeah. when you're th talking about selecting a niche, but again, if Julie kind of started doing that, realized, my God, this is horrible. I have absolutely <laughs> yeah. no interest in this. Then yeah. that's not the right niche, right? <laughs> it's not. It's not. And and niches evolve. So crisis PR, right. it may have been press releases and getting in front of the local news station 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Now social is going to be part of that. So the niche has evolved or expanded to give you more opportunity if you want to do those things. So good example, Julie. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So anything else that we need to know about about actually selecting the niche and how to go about uh, how to go about selecting this? Yeah. I think so obviously the people are going to have to the, the people that we're working with are also going to have to 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 play into this too. Yeah, absolutely. And really, that's. Sort of, there are sort of the three buckets, right? The three uh, pieces of the Venn diagram, your expertise, we talked about that. The next I would say is start to think and frame those um, solutions, if you will, up in terms of the problem that you solve. So now we're going to start thinking more in terms of the mind of the buyer. What is the problem that you're solving? 
Um, and that's really important because then it starts to also for you to get your head around how you're going to message, how you're going to talk about your thing. And you're always going to talk about your thing in the language of the buyer, not your language. So right. are there um, unwanted situations or problems that your clients typically want to solve for, right? If you're, I don't know, if you're an accountant, you mentioned bookkeeping earlier. If you're an accountant, nobody wants to pay for accounting, right? It's just a necessary evil, if you will. But that's not the problem you're solving. You're, you're solving um, providing the business owner, for example, just winging it here, you know, information about their business so they can make informed decisions. That's one problem you solve. Maybe another is preparation for tax season. Maybe it's compliance. Maybe it's opportunities to save money. Those are the things that a business owner thinks about. They don't think, I want to go spend money on a bookkeeping service or an accounting firm. No. They're solving a problem and they have to get that service to do so. So what is the unwanted situation or problem is a way to think about it. Or even like a triggering event. Here's another example. What is a triggering event or, situa or a situation that causes your clients and prospects to search? Mm -hmm. What happened? What's gone on in the business? Um, maybe it's business growth has caused their systems to break down, right? Maybe yeah. it's, um, I don't know, chat GPT, AI has come on board and now we're like freaking out about our business. Some, a triggering event, right? That's another way to think about the problem that you help solve and how you might be found. Um, so that's really the next step is going from expertise to problem. Um, then, as you kind of go through that problem discovery sort of processing phase, um, another thing I would encourage people to do is to think about the beliefs related to that problem. So beliefs meaning is, is generally in your in that industry, this is a known problem that nobody's figured out how to solve. Or it's that thing that everybody in our industry talks about. Um, or it's not a big enough problem that if I don't solve it, it's not going to have dramatic effects on my business. Or if I don't solve it, it is going to have dramatic effects on my business. If it's not a big right. enough problem, people aren't going to spend the money on it. So that beliefs sure. process, think about the beliefs that are wrapped around the problems that you solve too. It gets you further into the head of your, of your niche as well. Mm -hmm. um, and the last thing I would say around this is you can be aspirational too, right? We talked about current problem and future state, um, mm -hmm. you, can, you can niche around the hopes and dreams of a particular segment too, right? I, I really love to work with and focus on working with growth-oriented business owners. If I just want to stay in business, make a good living, and that's just like don't make any waves, probably not a fit for me. I want people that are aspirational. Right. They want to grow. They want to have an impact. They want to serve and do good. And I attract people like that, and I love working with people like that. So maybe there's part of that is part of how you niche too. You know, those um, um, mm -hmm. sort of passion or mission-driven organizations could be part of your niche, right? Right, right. Different persona, different So persona. <clears throat> that's interesting. So, yeah. And so what it, what it sounds like is that there's there, there can oftentimes be a lot of blend in between the problem that you're solving and the people that you're working with. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can solve a problem for numerous different, potentially numerous different industries, people, businesses, 
right? Mm-hmm. I, I talked to a, um, a business owner this morning. She's in the speech therapy business. She runs and owns two speech therapy clinics. Kind of B2C in terms of their customer, but B2B in terms of their leads. They they get referrals from doctors. So they're marketing to doctors. So it's kind of a B2B play. Um, so she's a speech therapist. Not usually something I would work on. I work with some medical practices. Sure. But as I think about that, I really enjoyed the conversation and we got on really well. But am I the right fit? Can I do the work? Probably. Should I be doing the work? Maybe not. Right. So she was looking for marketing strategy, right? Referral building, how to differentiate. So on the surface, I do all those things. But once we got into the market, her market, it became less of a fit for my niche. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, So so as we, t- as we kind of talk a little bit more about the people that we're working with, because mm-hmm. again, there's a, there, there is an aspect of, cause I'm thinking about time. There's a couple of the things I want to make sure that we, that we touch on too. But as we start looking at the people that we're working with, I mean, there's gotta be an aspect of, I want to work with these people too. Like we talked about, right. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. Yeah. So beyond that, if taking it one step further, you know, how do you really flesh out and and uh, and really well define that aspect of? And I know we kind of touched on this earlier, but just to kind of like square it up into this into this one section here, you know, how do how do what are some of the things that we should be thinking about or doing to really 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 define exactly who we want to be providing these services to? Yeah, it's a really good one because it's a tough one, right? Anybody that needs sales consulting, I can help. Anybody that needs CRMs, you can help. Well, maybe, maybe not, right? So I think the the clearer you are on your services, your deliverables, your value and the problem that you solve, the easier it is to narrow down the true market that has that problem. So I'll use Mission Suite as an example. CRM, marketing automation, you have an amazing tool set. But your ideal client isn't anybody that needs a CRM, right? You're not going to sell right. probably to a $100 million enterprise company. They're probably going to buy a Salesforce or some big enterprise product, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make either good or bad, but it's not anybody right. that needs a CRM is the ideal client for Mission Suite. That's just not the case. And so um, acknowledging that, and I'm not speaking to you because I know you have, but just to our audience, acknowledging right. that is important. <laughs> That, that that's part of it is like really who truly has a problem we can solve, number one. So that may help you define industries and verticals and size of business and geography and all those things. And But if you take it one step further and think about the people that we're working with, because, again, people buy from people. We work with people. Are there mm-hmm. – um traits around those people that you are either attracted to and like to work with or not right as i said earlier i really enjoy working with and focus on working with people with a growth mindset Mm -hmm. that to me that's that's on my mind when i talk to prospects versus a business owner that sort of is coming from a position of fear and they've got the last few dollars they've got to get over the hump I feel for those people, but I'm probably not the right fit. I'm not a turnaround guy. That's not what I do. So it really is important 
uh, and again, go back to the beginning of what we said earlier on is what are the clients you've had the most fun with? Who are the clients you've had the most fun with? Just think about it, write them down, name them. Mm -hmm. And then think about what made it fun and productive and successful. What made that write down what you think and you'll, you will find patterns. You will find consistencies. And that's the one way to figure out that who as well. Right. You know, and you bring up the, the, the fact that, we're talking about that people do business with people at the end of the day, we work with people, right? Regardless of of what the company is. And so what I've found, what I learned the hard way a number of uh, years ago is that, you know, thinking about the clients that you writing down the clients that you had the most fun with and whatnot, isn't just writing down the company and saying, oh, it's this kind of an organization, or I really liked working with membership organizations because, you know, they're a lot of fun and this, that, and the other, blah, 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 whatever. Um, but it was because it wasn't the organization that I really liked working with, as it turned out. It was the person that was there that made the work fun, yeah. right? And then fast forward to, you know, a number of years later, and this and the, the, that person has moved on. Yeah. She's still awesome and I enjoy working with her in her new organization, but the people that are there in the, in the, in the other one, right. Aren't necessarily as much fun to work with for me and, and whatnot. So I've had to, um, you know, so this was fortunately a long time ago, but, uh, but, you know, it was definitely something that I had to realize that, you know, it's not just the companies that I like to work with work with because that would tell me that any membership organization would be a blast right yeah and uh yeah so you have the knowledge and expertise to work right. with membership organizations that's part of that narrowing process but it's it is it's the people and it's maybe it's the culture of the business as well right there's, there's all of those things you can dig into and and you can make this a huge science experiment Right. If you really wanted to, you could. Mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting you do that, but I do think writing down, identifying and writing down those key characteristics for each of those three circles is amazing. We'll do amazing um benefit. You'll get amazing benefit with clarity with that, right? Because you'll start mm-hmm. to see patterns, you'll start to see what you've been thinking and feeling becomes words, becomes tangible and you can go talk to people right. and then when you have that next referral partner meeting or a channel partner meeting or pro- you can say here's the people i love and working with and have the most impact with and they'll immediately be attracted to that or they won't and that's mm-hmm. it yeah absolutely absolutely and you know this we've talked to about uh, uh, the collaborative selling and you know like basically changing the shape of our sales conversations Right, defining the culture points of of the companies that you're working with, and defining the character traits of the people that you're working with, helps to shape your sales conversation too. Because now you get to not only ask, "Well, are you a good fit for my stuff?" and "Is my stuff a good fit for you?" but you get to start exploring different conversations around, "Are we a good fit to work together too?" And hopefully save yourself a lot of headache down the line. Oh, I, that, that's, that's right on. I mean, it, and even if you're not overt, right, in the conversation, right. it's top of mind, right? One of the mm-hmm. things I think a lot of um, consultants of all flavors um, forget to ask or understand is, has that business owner spent money on professional services before? Mm-hmm. Right, More than a few dollars. Right. If they haven't, 
then there may be some additional barriers to overcome. Are they really open to outside advice? That could be a character trait. I look for people that have engaged with other professionals in the past. Whether yeah. it's been a good or a bad experience is irrelevant, right? Not completely irrelevant, but it's a little irrelevant. <laughs> right? But if they're like, I've never hired a consultant before. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. It frames it up for me. It frames it up sure. for me. So asking some of those questions are really important um, because yeah. then it, it often uncovers um, other questions you need to ask that they're not thinking about that you can ask to make sure there's alignment. Because sometimes, you know, it's like the old, um, you know, the person shows up for the interview when you're hiring them. And they're, they're the best you'll ever see them. They're the shiniest, right. polished, most ready, most alert, most awake, most prepared. And then two weeks later, Monday rolls out and I'm like, is that the person I actually interviewed? What, what happened? Right. Over <laughs> That's the, sometimes what business owners are like, right? If they know they've got a problem yeah. they need to solve, they're going to they're gonna show up prepared, but that's not how they operate day-to-day -day in their business. If they're a tyrant, mm -hmm. right, and running people off, you want to know that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that occurs to me in this conversation too is that, you know, very frequently there are opportunities and there are causes to say, hey, can I talk to this person on your team to learn more about the thing too? And you can kind of lightly and gently probe for character or, uh, character and, uh, and, and culture points from those conversations as well, uh -oh. right? <laughs> so it's not like you've only, you've got to get all this information from one person as you're, as you're determining whether or not this person fits into this person organization fits into your niche or not. Yeah. And, and we're starting to head into sort of like the sales and qualifying, which I love because it's all, part right. of this, it's all part of this continuum. It really, really is. Mm -hmm. But um, many times I've, I, I asked to speak to other people in the organization. Yeah. And I know that some folks on this call do the same that I've, I've talked to and worked with and, and you get a different perspective of the organization. Right. Mm -hmm. And so don't be afraid to ask those questions and be really clear on what you're yep. looking for. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And that often will uncover additional good or sometimes not so good, you know, facts. Right. Yeah. So uh, last thing that I want to kind of touch on before we uh, before we wrap up here is, you know, using that niche to really define messaging, really define target. Uh, obviously the, the targeting kind of takes care of itself, but we touched on, on, on using your niche with your messaging and, and, and whatnot. Uh, but you know, how do you go about using that niche to really, really, really target your messaging? And this is something that we've kind of touched on on a number of different community table sessions when we've talked about messaging in the past. But, uh, but I want to make sure, like I said, that we're kind of that, that, that we bring this into the conversation here too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great, great way to sort of wrap it up here. Um, we don't pay for services. We pay for transformation. Mm -hmm. Right. In, in B2B where many of us are, we pay for transformation, right? What is that transformation? Depends on your niche. How do you impact that transformation? Depends on your niche. And so thinking, I've, I've said the word empathy a couple of times, but be empathetic, which means being in the shoes and mindset, if you will, of your buyer, right? And use their language, use their um, perspective in your messaging and think in terms of transformations or results, right? Whatever it is the output is, mm -hmm. they're not going to buy your processes and your systems and your proprietary stuff until they know you can deliver a result, a transformation, an outcome, a future, 
right? That's the that's where your messaging has to begin. It's that transformational. And it can be. We know that business owners suffer from this thing, whatever it is in your niche. And I'm like, yeah, I suffer from that thing. Tell me more. You've just brought them into your messaging ecosystem. Then you can start to talk about transformation, future, um, that future state. And then the next step is they ask how. They raise their hand. They download the white paper. They sign up for the demo. They they do the thing, whatever the thing is. That's the how. That's them asking how. So think in terms of those phases. And if you understand your niche and, and their language and their mindset, the messaging becomes a lot easier. Yeah. It's always it's always iterative, though, right? It's, it's never done. Right. Right. Very cool. Well, as the sun sets on me and my picture continues to get darker and darker. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, one of the, one of the issues of being on the road is that, uh, is that you're at, you're at the whim of the sun. Uh, but, uh, but uh, so last things just kind of wrapping up, right? So final thoughts, one last thing that, uh, that we, we should, we want to leave everybody on the call with kind of last thoughts. What would that be? Start with you, start with yourself when you rethink your niche. Stop. Don't think about the market. Don't think about all of this other stuff. Start with you. Because if you're delivering or involved in that delivery, that's that's what counts. You're never going to be happy. You're never going to really lean into the business unless you really enjoy what you're doing and know you can deliver value. So start there. Most of the time we look outward first and then we kind of back into our right. services. I would say that's, to me, that's backwards, especially for these the small business owners on the call. Awesome. Awesome. Well, very cool. Well, as always, this has been great. I uh, I really enjoyed this. Uh, thank you uh, for for all the insight. That was uh, that was very cool. Um, and as for for everybody on the call, for everybody listening to the replay, uh, everybody watching my shadowy figure talking uh, in the witness <laughs> protection uh, style uh, video screen here. Um, if you have more questions, uh, again, this is, uh, this is on Facebook. It's on YouTube. You know, you can reach out to us there, uh, and you can connect with both Dean and me that way. Um, Dean's on, Dean's on Facebook and Instagram and all the things. And, uh, and of course, so am I a mission suite. So you can reach out to us uh, at any time and, you know, drop questions, comments, thoughts in the, in the, in the comments of the, the video that you're watching and we'll, uh, we'll do our best to get them answered. Yeah. So, one, one other quick thing, if you don't mind, Ian, we just launched yeah. a new um, scorecard for, for our market. There you go. A little bit of light there. Yeah. <laughs> a, a new, a new quiz. It's a scorecard. Um, if, so if you go to revenue roadblocks, quiz.com revenue roadblocks, quiz.com um, it's free assessment. It takes about three minutes to complete and it'll ask you a bunch of questions about your business, your marketing, your sales, all of your things. And you'll get a scorecard and a report that's customized to you with some specific actionable items that you can focus on to improve the score in certain areas of business. We have the business broken into four pillars of growth. So go out to revenueroadblocksquiz.com, free, take the quiz. If you have any questions when you take it, let me know. It's it's Hopefully it's a really good tool that people can use to help kind of get going on some of the things that we talk about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll, uh, we'll link to that in the comments too. So you can there in the description of this, so you can, uh, you can check that out there too. Awesome. So um, very right. cool. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us today and we will see you, uh, see you next month. Cheers. 
Hey, thanks so much for checking out our episode today. I really hope you found it valuable and got some good takeaways from it. If you did, do me a favor, subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcasting app and leave a review to let us know how we're doing. If you'd like to learn more about Mission Suite, check us out at www.themissionsuite.com and there you'll find educational resources and information about our platform. Also, don't forget to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube and be a part of the conversation. We'll be back soon. Cheers. Cheers.